Come with us now, if you dare, down a rickety staircase into a dank, dark basement. What awaits the Saturday Night Freak Show? <laughs> and thanks for joining us once again on the Saturday Night Freak Show. I'm your host, Colin, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of miscreants and other internet radio superstars, including... This is Brent. Tom. And Ann. And tonight, oh, first of all, uh, if you want to contact us about uh, this or any other podcast, you can get a hold of us at Saturday Night Freak Show at yahoo.com. That's our email. You can also find all of our archived episodes on Saturday Night Freak Show.blogspot.com, or you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Podbay FM. Look us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Saturday Night Freak Show. And on Twitter, our handle is Sat Freak Show. Uh, this week, we're still continuing the Halloween uh, celebration with Brent's pick. And what'd you show us tonight, Brent? Tonight, we watched Flatliners. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, yeah, bum, tell, tell us bum. a little bit about this movie, because I've never seen it until tonight. And why don't you, like, oh. tell us more about this movie for the uninitiated listener, because this is kind of a Before he does that, can we get Colin's ever-present um, background history on Flatliners. You know, all the stuff that most people don't care about, director, producer, when it was made, all that good stuff. Oh, people huh. care. They care. <laughs> Flatliners is a film that was made in 1990 by the filmmaker Joel Schumacher. You know, actually, I noticed this time around, that, uh, just looking at the credits list, there's a lot of like people who either were uh, industry titans or became industry titans. Like the music's by James Newton Howard. The cinematographer is Jan DeBont. He went on to, uh, he had, you know, he shot Das Boot way back in the day. Uh, you know, Die Hard, all those things. And then went on to do, uh, he became a director with uh, Twister. And then, unfortunately, made The Haunting of uh, The Haunting, 1999. And let's not forget Speed. And Speed. He directed Speed, right? He I don't want to he, say he... he Directed yeah. and shot speed or something. I don't know if he shot it. He, maybe he did, but he definitely was the director on that. Yeah. So, there. It also, I believe this movie marks the fourth, well, it would have been the second of four collaborations between Joel Schumacher and Kiefer Sutherland, the first being The Lost Boys, Flatliners, A Time to Kill, and Phone Booth. Dun, dun, dun. Wow, yeah. I so forgot about <laughs> Phone Booth. <laughs> right, yeah, he's the... The sniper. So, what's the uh, what's the story of Flatliners? Take us through this this amazing plot. Uh, Flatliners is about five medical students that um, they're you get this idea that they're you know they're brilliant and they're bored. Um, the the Kiefer Sutherland is the leader of this pack. He um, what's his name in the movie? Nelson. What's his character Nelson. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Nelson kind of like the first shot you see is Nelson. Like it's this wide shot over Lake Michigan coming in to Chicago, and he's on right on the lake there on the coast, and the the camera goes all the way into him, and he says, "Today is a good day to die," and that's kind of that's what the movie's about. It's about these five medical students, um, I guess, pushing the limits of death, and how they do that. I guess they they okay, so they have this. This, uh, uh, I want to say it's like a, they're restoring some museum, but they're using it as like a medical school. Yeah. Or they're they're having classrooms. Well, the, there's an abandoned one or an empty one because at the time they're restoring like this. It just looks like a cathedral, like the room that they're in. 
Um, and these five medical students kind of break in one night and bring all their own equipment and they start killing themselves. Is basically, like literally, yeah. yeah. Stopping their heart medically, but, right. inducing a state of death. Yeah. <laughs> and state of death. We, we start with Kiefer goes under um, and like sequentially all the other students except for Oliver Platt well, actually who are, who goes are under the, the, uh, the medical students? The students are, we have Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland as Nelson. We have uh, Kevin Bacon as David. Um, Tremors era, uh, Tremors. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, the long-haired <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Yep. Maybe cowboy boots, I want to say. It feels like he's wearing cowboy <laughs> boots. He's playing the rebel medical student. Yeah, um, and then there is Julia Roberts. Who was really young in this movie. Real young. I want to yeah. say she was in a movie called Dying Young, which may have also been a Joel Schumacher movie, she but was. that may have been right bef- after this. It may have been. Um, we have William Baldwin, Billy Baldwin. Back in his kid's days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what, even what happened to him after, like, I lost track of him after, what, like, Backdraft or something. Yeah, you lose track was backdraft? of Baldwin's, but... 92, 94, okay. 90, 91, somewhere. Yeah. Billy's career has been sporadic yeah. at best. Well, of all the Baldwins, like, Adam's gone on to do stuff like Firefly and whatever. Uh, uh, he's, Alec, not, he's not one of the... Who? Adam Baldwin's... He's not dude. related? No. Oh, whoops. So there's... Alec uh, Baldwin, Billy Baldwin, and Stephen. There's yeah, there's definitely there's a another Stephen. one. There's five. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's another one. I can't remember his name. Daniel. He was in Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man. There's a shout out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a- Adam Baldwin is a. He's not related to the oh, okay. Baldwin family. Whoops. Well, then um, we also have uh, the great Oliver Platt, who's kind of throughout this entire film, he's kind of the voice of reason. You know, I think if you are, if you're watching this from a movie, I think that he's kind of like the audience member going, he's the why are you doing this? Well, what, he's kind of the comedy relief, too. Yeah, he's Oliver Platt. He's always been one of my favorite actors. He's Just Oliver his Platt. His delivery is fantastic. Oliver Platt. The, and the thing about this cast is, um, they, I think that this film specifically, and there, there are other examples of it, but everybody in this film, I think acting-wise, really brings their A-game. Yeah. There's there's really not a lot of I mean, like, is, cheesy overacting. It reminds me of, like, there, there's a lot of 90 movies that kind of have that, like, you know, because, like, this is, like, A-game of, like, Kevin Bacon, you know, like, it's, like, Three Musketeers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, Disney's Three Musketeers, Oliver Platt, Keeper Sutherland, Charlie Sheen, mm. and, uh... uh Tim Curry. Chris O'Donnell. Oh, Chris O'Donnell. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, Young Guns. Right. Yeah, I mean, they were all, they were the Rat Pack, right? These guys consisted, well, partially, I don't know, well, some of them. You can see where the makers of the film had gotten their talent from. Yeah. From other films that they had recently. Yeah, I mean, they were the it crowd. I mean, if you're going to make a movie, like an A-list movie, these were the A-listers at the time. So this was like the 90s version of like the 80s Brat Pack. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I I would definitely agree with that, yeah. It was like everybody at the height of their career, you know, from that, at that point. So Charlie Sheen ain't in Charlie Sheen's not there. Maybe he, <laughs> he was in rehab at the time. Maybe he yeah. should have been. Where's Rob Blow? I mean, uh, you know what's going. On. See, yeah, wow. it is. 
So are we saying that? Emilio Estevez. You know, so that's Saint Saint Elmo's Fire that we're talking. Oh, about, that right? would say that would be eighties. That's yeah. That, I think hey, that's more. Yeah, right. Mark. Okay. This is like the 90s, right? Yeah, you need a Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. <laughs> you know, like, you round out that whole movie. Like, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they, they induce, uh, they kill themselves because, I mean, this is like a metaphysical kind of, uh, like, thriller. Metaphysical thriller, right? Where they're they're trying to deal with this fairly sizable topic of, like, what, you know, what happens after death. Right, yeah. So they're, you know, he, you know, it's almost like uh, the uh, Kiefer Sutherland character is the Victor Frankenstein of this operation where he's, you know, you know, doing these experiments where man should not tread into the domain of God. Like, literally, they're in the domain of God because it's taking place in, a, in an abandoned cathedral or yeah. that's being restored. I mean, there's a lot of, like, religious iconography everywhere in the production design. Tons. I think the first thing you see is... Well, after that long, awesome shot of Kiefer Sutherland on the lake, I think it's going through one of the cathedrals, and you see all the paintings on the ceilings and on the walls as they mm-hmm. come down to maybe a classroom setting. Yeah, which even the classroom, I mean, this yeah. is not like a regular medical building, you know, with like sterile green walls or whatever. It's, you yeah. know, they're in, like, they're surrounded by like religious frescoes and stuff like Almost that. Almost every shot lights. in that movie has some symbolic significance. Most of it. Uh, religious, mm-hmm. but not all of it. Some of it is yeah. other types of philosophical stuff. But yeah. and when it's not, when it's not like through a painting or a religious iconic image, it's also with the lighting, more on the supernatural side of things. Like, so I guess we should keep going with this though. Yeah, because uh, they kill themselves. They kill themselves, <laughs> and they experience something. Kiefer's the first one to experience something when he's under. Um, and we kind of see it through his eyes in the, the afterlife, but you don't really get the full picture. And, th- and then he comes out of it. They, they bring him back after what, was it a minute? I yeah. Think he's he was, dead for a minute. Dead for 30 seconds, a minute to come out. A minute to come out. Okay. So then they start, you know, Kiefer starts seeing things. And dun, dun, dun. The, the plot thickens. But at first, but, they're, they're, as he said, you know, beautiful, ethereal things. Yeah. You know, and they don't start changing until later in the movie. And he, sorry to take it away from you there. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> he doesn't, he makes the big mistake of not telling the others right, right away. So they all go under it and then don't find out until it's too late that other things were happening. Right, and as Julia Roberts says, not telling them is the same thing as lying to them about what was going on. Because I think when Kiefer first goes under, I think he wants it to be something beautiful and spiritual so much that that's what he takes from his vision that he had while he was under. And it, what, it's not until later, like Anne said, where like his vision turns bad. Well, I and, mean, he, when he, he's, like, he's sitting there and he's he's all like... <clears throat> he's all like I can hear things I can hear things you know like I hear the hum of electricity and the, the, the like almost like he can sense like you know like the world you know I feel like a highly tuned machine and um, yeah well it's almost like that reminded me of like anytime you get this kind of mad scientist movies uh, the, specifically the fly right the fly the uh, Jeff Goldblum teleports himself 
and then when he comes out of it, he's in that same kind of state of euphoria. It's like I've, it's like I've been born again, taken apart and reborn, and now I'm like all you know, awesome. I mean, but there's actually like yeah, a, you know, he doesn't like. I mean, Nelson doesn't like fall apart until he's like, till they do the uh, Batman, Batman Forever shot. Right. Uh, what Tom's talking about is the lighting in this film. And early on, you start to notice that it's not realistic at all. Uh, it's very stylized. And when when Kiefer sees his first kind of... You get the impression that through his vision, he's brought something back. Something... You don't know if it's physical yet, but it's something that he's experiencing. Maybe psychologically. But you see this. It's bright blue lighting and bright red. You know, and t- kind of glowing... Yeah, it's got glow in the dark, like, like murals glowing. or something. On yeah, that almost They're like a skull gr- murals. Yeah, he's which in a, he's in a alleyway, fully painted with full size graffiti of leering skull faces. You know, yeah, overly right. done. And, almost green, yeah, red, yeah. blue. Which has to be a Schumacher thing. You know, obviously Schumacher liked that enough to like when he finally got his shot at the Batman franchise, which was three years, like four years after this. Then, like, was it Batman? The forever, forever. The, was the first one that he did. I want to say that that one had a lot of uh, glow-in-the-dark stuff in it. Or was it Batman and Robin that really so was Batman and Robin was like even more? Yeah. yeah. That, they took it to a new level in Batman and Robin. Okay, like, that's the one. Schumacher's always been really crazy about weird lighting. Yeah. I mean, none of the lighting in this movie is natural lighting at all. Even the normal scenes are not normal lighting at all. Everything, yeah, it's a definite palette. Like during the day, you can see like it's it's all the 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 frame is almost just different variations of oranges and, mm-hmm. and ambers or blues, oranges and blues. Oftentimes in the Blue. same shot, I, I mean, he comes from that same kind of um, you know background. I want to say there was a couple moments I like forgot. I'm like, well, this is like you know Tony Scott kind of did you know, and I'm like, oh, this isn't a Tony Scott movie. That's right, it's a Joel Schumacher movie. But like those guys come from the same you know era of like you know commercial uh you know commercial production and stuff like that and like mtv and like all these really hyper stylized things the you know i'd seen this movie in the theater but now watching it this time like that was the thing that i keyed into the most is like how they had you know the production designed this movie and it's amazing there's always something uh moving through the frame if it's not particles it's like uh they'll have you know a setting sunlight reflected in like a puddle of water bouncing that light back up onto the actors so there's always like this kind of the light itself is moving there was a shot where they're in a diner after hours and i just became aware of the fact that there was this like uh orange uh look like a you know like a lighthouse light you know just kind of like going around the room i think you're supposed to get the impression that it was some kind of advertisement outside yeah but know, i mean it's like unmoded you know i mean but they did that in like all nearly every scene yeah, there's you're right. smoke like blowing Kevin through Bacon the background goes and, back home you know yeah there's the small piles of leaves burning and mm-hmm. then when he knocks on the door you've got what's supposed to be light coming through a sun catcher shining and reflecting yeah there's you're right the light use is constant and the light is almost a character in this movie yeah i mean even so much smoke that, everywhere yeah and everywhere. uh plastic because the thing takes place and you know they're doing a re- renovation to this cathedral there's a lot of hanging strips of torn plastic i mean it all looks shredded and it's all blowing in the wind and you know it's really cool but i mean it seems that that's like everywhere in town everywhere they go it seems like there's shredded plastic uh, and then the lighting also becomes very theatrical during the vision sequences when each of the characters experiences this, you know, 
when they start experiencing these hallucinations or whatever they are from the afterlife, uh, it's almost like Italian horror type lighting or, you know, where theatrical stage lighting is kind of what it is, where like all the natural light will alter into bright reds or bright blues or greens or whatever and flood the entire frame. It was really eye-catching. I mean, just watching it this time was like, holy cow. I mean, this is a good-looking movie, you know? I mean, just in the places where they shot it, you know, the way they shot it and the way that they lit it. And it's it's interesting because all this this constant moving of light and, you know, always on the characters, you start to get the sense that, or at least I do anyways, that, like, they're disturbing the universe and you have, mm-hmm. you know... Like ripples or extent, you know, yeah, from wherever, yeah, right. You, you, you're, you know, the visual representation of that is not just sunlight hitting your face. It's like sunlight that's, you know, either revolving or it's rippling on your face or it's, it's making itself known mm-hmm. more than it would in a film where you know the lighting is just supposed to add to the story and the, the experience. Not like it's obviously eye catching and yeah. it points itself out. Yeah. Even that scene, you know, I was thinking uh, when there's because one of the shots that's repeated often, not the exact same shot, but they, you know, do this establishing shot of the uh, of the cathedral or whatever the museum, whatever the hell it is that they're operating in. So the camera is always sliding past these. Um, what do you call those with the blinking lights on top? The bear, you know, like emergency or you know. What are, what are they, those things called? Yeah, oh, the, the construction cone things. Yeah, but they're not cones. They're, yeah, they're, the and, orange and white road barriers. Yeah, the, like with, the sandwich board yes, style. Yeah, yeah, but they have the lights on top that are all flashing. And yeah. at one point, I realized like there's, I mean, between the camera and the uh, the building was like a field of those things, all with like caution tape strung between them, and like all the flashers are going off, and it was just like. Wow, that's just like just to add some interest to that shot. They just they went and put all those construction things all through there, and it was you know, I mean that's one of those things that was like wow, this is you know. Yeah, and it's the scenes are beautiful the way that they're the way that they're constructed. Everything throughout this film, and I have to imagine it just if you read the script to this, it would just be like interior hospital operating theater. Sure. You know, I mean, that's where one of those, like, where a director or a production designer interprets, you know, and goes like, well, what if we set it in a cathedral? What if we, you know, because that can't be in the script, you right. know? Yeah. What if they, yeah, we're going to do the know, operation right over movie, a great. I, I could see them coming up with something a little bit more like that because it seemed like one of the other major purposes of this movie was to get you thinking about the afterlife on regardless of whether it's religious or non-religious, you know. Spiritual. Yeah, it's more of a spiritual thing. I mean, yeah, they put in a lot of religious overtones into it, but I saw a lot of other things in there, too, that I think were just more supposed to get the audience thinking Mm -hmm. about what happens in the afterlife. Although, getting back to your lighting point, I can understand some of the really crazy lighting during some of the hallucinogenic scenes, shall we say, but... For some of like the normal shots, it they it just seemed like they were, I don't know, almost bordering on pretentious. That may be the way. Yeah, I mean it. You know, it's like you, just because cinematic styles have changed so much. It's like one of those things that you read it now is like Jesus Christ. It's like look how overproduced it is. But I think it's a style that you know in the 
it's the extension of like the Tony Scott, you know, Ridley Scott, you know, the the Brockheimer, look. Yeah, yeah, the Brockheimer look, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it is a little pretentious, but I I think in this film it kind of works because we're also talking about these students that are so pretentious and they're so arrogant that they're you know they believe that they can kill themselves and come back to life, you mm-hmm. know, like every single one of them because Kiefer's the first, but then. We have these scenes where it's immediately a, they're immediately there's a bidding war about how long you can stay under, how long you can stay dead to pick who goes next. Yeah, even Which though that's just, they were all completely freaking out at the beginning that he was even considering this. You right, know, like the moment he wakes up, it's like within I don't know a couple of hours after that they're like, "I'm going next, I'm going <laughs> next." And they always have trouble bringing them back every single time. <laughs> so it's like I don't know why they're always like, "Yeah, I want to go next," even though like we always have difficulty bringing them back yeah. i'm gonna go for two minutes i'll go for four like i think what? they all get caught up in the euphoria of being able to bring somebody back i'm a better doctor because i was able to bring it back after five minutes or something like that well, that and it's kind of uh they're they're all dealing with their own personal demons from the past whether they like it or not and this dying and coming back is bringing all of these these past experiences to the surface Actually, it's forcing them to deal with it. Before we go there, it just it occurred to me that uh, you know, you know, we were talking about how they're each one upping each other for a chance to die, basically, and how crazy that is. But each one of them has like a specific reason that they want this to have. You know what they that they expect to get out of it. Kiefer Sutherland's character, as pure science, you know, he wants to know is there life after death and i'm going to record it and i'm going to become famous i think he you know to him that's like that's the afterthought but it's included in his grand plan that he's going to become famous and but you know he'll have this this will be a great scientific discovery william baldwin wants to do it specifically to be famous well right. he did it i can do it and well i'll get famous uh kevin bacon he's an atheist so he's doing it basically to be you know, the control and and to protect uh, yeah, Julia Roberts' character from, from having to do it herself. But she is motivated by the idea that uh, she's got something in her past that she wants to basically check and see what's out there. And, you know, did this person go to a good place, bad place, or, you know. Yeah, and she becomes more and more interested as it surfaces that they're bringing something back with them. So uh, what are they bringing back? They're, well, each one of them has committed a sin in the past, and uh, it doesn't, like, Tom and I got into this discussion. Well, no, but. wait a minute. Yeah. I say each of them would cons- had committed a perceived sin. Well, yeah, okay. It, this, is, this, is, this is where, this is where I, I think the movie, like... The metaphysics fall apart or stumble? This is where I think the, just the movie falls apart. I think, well, I like, think you're thinking about it wrong. Well, let's hear what he's thinking. Well, like, each person commits a sin. And that's what comes back to haunt them. And it's just like... I kind of thought that the sins were kind of... See, that's the, that's the immediate thinking that comes Wait. to your mind, is that it's a sin that they committed. But I don't think that's really it. I think it's a perceived sin. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland obviously had not thought about that boy that he had, you know, had any issues with in years. And neither had Kevin Bacon until this came up. But it was lurking somewhere in their subconscious yeah you know and they were all kids except for the baldwin character they were all kids when this stuff happened so i mean that's stuff that most kids don't remember or don't think about that much or they're looking at it from a skewed perspective so i 
I don't think it was so much a sin that they committed, but it was unresolved issues. So it's like they're haunted, like literally haunted by guilt from the past. But again, that could be where, again, metaphysical, you know, the, the, the theology of the movie, if you say, kind of stumbles. Because then after after they die and come back, you know, they are physically haunted by these, you know, they see, you know, people on the subway. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character accidentally contributed to the death of a schoolmate back when he was a kid. He sees that kid literally show up and then literally attacking him. I mean, all through the movie, whenever Kiefer Sutherland is by himself, he's getting hit in the face with a hockey stick or whatever by this kid that he, mur- you know, in a sense, murdered, you know, 20 odd years ago. Manslaughter. Yeah, so I mean, there it's like, okay, so is this, does this mean that it's like physically, this is a ghost haunting him? It doesn't seem like the movie wants to say that it is, because later on it's like, it looks like he's attacking himself when Kevin Bacon's trying to, you know. Right, That yeah, that I think is an important scene. So then it's like, okay, so something from your subconscious has been stirred up and you're actually seeing like waking you know, nightmares or hallucinations that, you know, your mind is, but I'm like, okay, so what does that have to do with death? And they never really resolved that. That's, I guess, the open question is, like, are we saying that, you know, if you die and come back, like, there's some kind of chemicals released that, like, triggers some, you know, part of the brain that, you know, because it's clearly not they're bringing stuff back from death. No, because Kevin Bacon's, uh, what he experiences while he's dead is he remembers as a kid when he and his friends were making fun of this girl on the playground. Well, he goes and finds her. She's still alive. She's living, you know, two hours out of Chicago. And he's obviously, he's seeing visions of that little girl on the subway and stuff, but she's the actual person that he made fun of is still alive. So, like, this obviously that this ghost or whatever isn't a ghost. Yeah, it's created by, by his mind. Then. Yeah. It's, it's not it's, created, it's not a phantom from the afterlife. And, you know, in his way of, he figures out how to deal with it is by basically, like, if you go to the person and apologize then, you know, you're you're absolving yourself of guilt. You're owning up to the fact that you did this and, you know, you're atoning for your sin. Well, I, I, I think the latter part of that was probably more correct. It's not that you necessarily need to go to the person and apologize. It's that you need to understand what, it, what the issue was and feel forgiveness. Yeah. Because when you think of the Baldwin character... Baldwin never redeemed himself. But he felt... He understood at the end, he understood what the issue was, and he felt bad about it, you know. And I think that's when the vision stopped for him, because you don't see him anymore. Uh, and even he's showing that he's relieved himself. And Julia Roberts' character, even right, though yeah. she was the only one that didn't actually commit any sins at all. She, yeah, she, she was perceived, like you said. Yeah, it was a perceived sin. But she, when she was a child and she had gone into that room, she just saw the back of her father sitting there. And then he gets upset and runs out of the room. Well, her whole life she thought he got upset. And kills himself. He, he, he shoots himself. Yeah, right and he after. ends up shooting himself. Um, but she had always grown up thinking that it was because she was supposed to go in that room mm-hmm. and, she and her mother said room. it's your fault and then yeah, right that's but the memory when she actually goes through the entire hallucination she sees that the reason why she wasn't supposed to go in that room was because her father was shooting up yeah, it was a vietnam vet or whatever he came back with a 
uh, you know, yeah, probably messed up PTSD. Mm-hmm. So she needed to fully understand the situation to understand that she hadn't done anything wrong. And once, you know, her perceived sin ab- resolved itself, she was fine. Yeah. But I think, you know, they started out as like basically hallucinations, but the longer that people refuse to deal with them, the worse they get. I think Billy Baldwin's character had um, kind of a slap in the face because his fiance kind of shoved everything at him right yeah, he when had he been was starting videotaping himself having sex with all these different college girls without their knowledge. Right, even though his, he was engaged. Yeah, and so yeah, he's confronted by like specters of all these women, and then uh, it turns out that you know then he finally he, his fiance has discovered his stash, and that becomes I guess his moment of atoning you know that he... well he was getting there beforehand because there was the phone call to her you know where he was yeah but that i think that was before he uh killed himself or you know put him did the whatever the experiment oh, so that was in right, case yeah. something goes wrong i'm gonna you know i love you she's like what but that triggers her to come up and then to to where he's at and then find his secret stash of videotapes and is that just what makes his character that much worse because he's 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 selfish and he's an asshole because he's you know he's a piece of shit because he's filming these women that he's having sex with, but then at the same time he's calling his fiance or his girlfriend and saying that he loves her and all this stuff you know I mean he obviously doesn't if he's doing all this other things. Well, no, I mean not, not only does he like you know the the sins isn't just that he's filming them, but it's also the lies that he tells the women to get them to sleep with. Yeah, mm-hmm. which they all bring those pickup lines back to him. And not just pickup lines, but just, you know, ridiculous things he's told to them. You know, I love yeah. you. I need you to show me you love me. You know, all the stuff he's used to pressure them into having sex with them. And it's interesting how as each one of uh, these experiences that these students are having in their afterlife experience, when it does manifest itself in reality, you don't, as the viewer, you don't get the full picture right away. I mean, with... Kiefer Sutherland, um, one of the things where Tommy was saying he was just picking on that kid, that's not that bad. But then later on, you find out that the picking on the kid and chasing him up a tree and throwing rocks and shit at him eventually resulted in the kid's death falling from the tree. And that's like, you find that out like towards the end of the movie, I think. Yeah, but I mean, that's just, that's, see, that's, again, Travis isn't here, but uh, I mean, this is an ongoing disagreement that we have. It's like that is screen drama. Right. Where. The writer obviously knows what the, you know, that Kiefer Sutherland's character killed the kid, but holds that back from you and parcels that backstory out. So, you know, there's more like, well, what's going on here? It intrigues you more. And then it's like, well, all we have to do is atone for our sins. And he's like, well, I can't because mine's dead. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. and that's like a surprise, you know, whether you saw it coming or not. But I mean, that's the idea is that we held off for that reveal. That's the third act reveal right. for his character. You know, that's just dramatic writing. I mean, it's good dramatic writing. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that's it. the way you do it. I just think that there's bigger issues here going on than as than what you're, you know, on the face level, it is a movie, well, it's a pretty original movie. It's a movie about medical students killing themselves for a couple minutes it's at a, a time. It's a heavy theme, it's, it's you a, know, yeah. to go after. But it's that idea, you know, that... Uh, I almost, I almost want to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to compare it to the Breakfast Club, where you oh, have fuck, dude. 
Well, hold on. But I don't get it through. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Where you have this this group of people that they all have their own issues, right? So when you put them all together, um, they're forced through their different personality types and through the situation, whether it be killing yourself or being locked in a library for a day, for a Saturday, they're all, it's forcing them to deal with these issues and bring them to the surface. It's kind of a therapy session. And by the end of the film, you have this group that is better for having gone through this and dealing with all their own, you know, personal demons from the past. And, and they, they all come out better on the other side. I mean, yeah, everybody, you don't have the, if anybody would be the one, it'd be Kiefer Sutherland with his hand, his fist raised in the air as, <laughs> as they're playing, don't you forget about me. <laughs> it doesn't go that far, but, you know, I mean, that's that's the idea, I think. That's my theory on it it's well his closing line i mean since he's he is the central protagonist i think of the movie only because you know the movie starts with him and ends with him and his first line is the mirror of the last line you know his first line is today's a good day to die his last line is today's not such a good day to die or something like that so it kind of opens and closes with him the one thing i i did kind of i guess i was a little bit disappointed by how much the movie depended on the religious iconography rather than the spiritual. I mean, they're kind of two different things, um, but it was like heavy on the Catholicism, heavy on the whole conservative religious views. I mean, that stuff was just everywhere. There is a sprinkling of, you know, non-religious spiritual stuff here and there, but I mean, there was even um, an advertisement on one wall that was like one of those black and white pictures where if you look at it with the black being the contrasting color, it was one picture. But if you look at it with white being the contrasting color, it was a different one. You know, and like you said, when one was an angels or two angels, the yeah. other one was something. Well, another one was like a face. Yeah, that's like right. A- it was a face, you know, and just. And then the, the the face was kind of a devilish face, and the angels, you know, I mean, it was a little bit too much God-ish, rather than, I, I kind of saw them as going through, from the way he was showing it, more of a purgatory. You know, here's all the things from your past that you have to face and get through in order to move on to the next stage. Okay, but, yeah. But the next stage was like back to life again. Well, let let me finish. I was going to say, depending on your religious views, the next stage could be moving on to the next afterlife. It could be coming back, or it could be, um, you know, like you've got Buddhism, um, then there's reincarnation, um, which kind of in a way, if you look at this, this sort of a spiritual reincarnation form, because... They went through what, up until that point, their life had been resolving itself of issues. Um, And then once they face it and get through it, you know, their lives are going to be a lot better. Right. I mean, at least some of them, you know, they learned to deal with that stuff. But I also found it kind of interesting that all of them, except for the Baldwin character, had only had, like, basically one issue from when they were kids. I the, mean, yeah. Well, I, I teenage think, years. Anybody? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think yeah. I, I think what this film does is just picks out one issue to deal with. Just 
because you're, you're right. Things. You're right. Yeah. I mean, people have all sorts of issues in the real world, and this, yeah, if you try to do that in a two-hour movie, you'd be. Yeah, good point. It would take forever. Plus, so, I suppose if they're only under for a few minutes. And I thought that's also what was interesting about it. Not that any of these weren't severe. Uh, I don't know what you would call them. They, they, and I say sins because they say it in the movie, but they're not. You know, they're severe perceptions of sinning or doing wrong. And uh, probably the easiest going one is probably Kevin Bacon's, where he teased a lady or a girl when when he was young, and he goes to make up for it. But the interesting thing is that it doesn't matter the severity of the wrongdoing. What's important is that it's something that is either bothering them still, and it's just deep down inside, and they, you know, it takes dying to bring it out. It's the guilt. It's the guilt. Which, that's a very Catholic concept, I think. Uh, Yeah, sure. Well, you can go so far as, like, I mean, Kevin Bacon goes from being an atheist to believing in God. Well, does he? And towards the end, he's screaming at God. Oh, that's true. Good point. Wow, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. At the end, he's screaming at God, so, I mean... It's, yeah, definitely a reli- a re- it's definitely a religious movie in, in that aspect. See, I guess I didn't, you know, is it a proponent for, uh, you know, it's the, the the grand thesis of the movie seems to be that there is some type of life after death. You know, even the atheist sees something after they die, and he's saying that maybe it, you know, could be some kind of electric activity in the brain after it was all shut down or whatever. And they're like, there was no activity in your brain. Yeah, it would have showed up on the EKG. Yeah. There's a lot of, see, I mean, I saw, like, a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, they're like, you know, Roman Catholic paintings or something like that, but it was mostly, you know, angels all over the place, primarily angels, clouds. Uh, there was a um, big picture of God at the end, I want to say, on one of the walls, but I just saw that as, like, because we're in a Western world, that's going to be, like, that is the spirituality of, even though the characters don't seem to be necessarily... Uh, religious at all really i mean i can't remember if any of them were specifically none of them are really practicing like you know i mean julia roberts her past seemed she she grew up in a catholic home but i don't know that i mean all these characters are i think a lot of them were like they even say early on it's like you know was it julia roberts she 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 had the cross and she had a catholic upbringing because when you go back to her childhood home there's jesus images all over the place well his uh nelson's whole reason for doing this is because i can't remember what he says says like so something has failed us religion has failed us and now it's time for science to take over and explain like what what actually happens after death so it is kind of like uh you know it's not talking about faith at that point. It's like we're going to prove it scientifically. You know, we're going to make this something. Yeah, that we it's can almost like a cross document. between Frankenstein and Jacob's Ladder. In a way, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, but Jacob's Ladder. I mean, again, it's well, a the ending thriller, and yeah, but that one's like more. I think that one's more successful as far you know if that's what it's trying to do. You know, just explore that because it really gets into like all. I mean, like you know, it becomes like a quasi supernatural, like full on. You know, heaven, angels, hell, demons. You know, all fighting. Well, for yeah, that one's a lot heavier. You have to spend a couple times watching yeah, it to yeah. really get it. Yeah. Uh, this one's a little fluffier, it's but more mainstream, like yeah. slick. You know, Hollywood. Not that that's bad. <laughs> well, and it's it's interesting. 
there, you know, there are five medical students doing this, and Oliver Platt is the fifth one, and he never goes under, which, I mean, again, he's kind of that comedic relief and that voice of reason character, um, but I, I don't think you could have fit a fifth one in there. I think right. that it's it's It got pretty repetitious, I think, after, you know. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised that uh, the second one, with uh, William Baldwin's character, they pretty much cut to him, like, you know, saying goodbye to his girlfriend, should anything happen, click, hang up the phone, and then it starts on a dot, and you zoom in, and that's, like, him being born, kind of, in his vision. I'm like, oh, okay, so we didn't have to go through the whole, like, here's us injecting you with this stuff, and putting the blanket on, and zapping you to stop your heart. I'm like, okay, so we're picking up the pace, and then the other three... Like go or the other two go right back to that again. It's like we got to do the whole process. Well, I think they wanted to do it with Julia Roberts' character because she was considered the most vulnerable of characters, mm. and the reason and why she's they the target of the love triangle. Yeah. Well, see, I don't even know if it's so much as love as it is a feeling of protection. You know, because she is the female. I mean, yeah, well, she's definitely there's... sleeping with Kevin Bacon. Well, yeah. Eventually. Eventually, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, obviously, they're men. They're going to be interested in one of the few female law students, especially one that's as attractive as... Well, yeah, but that's yeah, medical. I mean, she's the attractive and girl. And she's attractive, you know. and she's wanting to do this. And I think it's a feeling of, you know, yeah, sure, there might be some kind of wanting to be loved in there, but I think it's just a feeling of protection. See, I think it's more... I, the way I read it was that Kiefer Sutherland's character... You know, I mean, obviously he's getting her into the group of, you know, he needs five people to pull this thing off because this isn't, like, sanctioned by the school. This is, like, an extracurricular thing. And everybody has their reservations of doing it. He needs her to be there because of her expertise, her medical expertise. But I got the impression from a couple of, you know, early scenes that he kind of, he liked her, you know, uh, uh, he was romantically interested in her. And then... When Kevin Bacon's character comes on the scene, there's a, you know, a, a definite... I thought there was one scene, I think, where we were commenting, where yeah. it's like, I think it's when Kevin Bacon's character is dead, and they're all standing around trying to revol revive him. Kiefer Sutherland's character becomes extremely antagonistic toward uh, Julia Roberts's character. You know, like, if he died right now, would you miss him? You know, all this other stuff, because he's picked up on the fact that these two have something going on, that he wanted to have, you know, an interest in her, her to be interested in him, but she's actually interested in Kevin Bacon. He picks up on that, and it's explored more as the movie goes on, but I think, like, even that early, it was like, you know, he was aware of it, and that's why he's getting his little digs in, you know, because he's jealous or wounded. That's one way of looking at it, but before he had even made that comment to her, he was trying to push the boundaries of the time that kevin bacon could be dead yeah but for. see i read that as also that was directed yeah, at her part also of that it's may like what been... if i get what if we just keep him down for another 30 seconds yeah just to see if she would react like no you can't do that what he... do you actually have feelings for him <laughs> you could see it that way but and that may have been part of it but another way you could look at it was that you know this is a guy again like frankenstein who's like so into this that he wants to push the boundaries. He's seeing how long they can go and how far under they can stay. And he's wanting to push it past. And because he, he wasn't the only, you know, I mean, he wasn't just looking at her and she wasn't the only one freaking out. They were all freaking out about the time because up until that point, Kevin's baking character had done it the longest. It's kind of him, uh, you know, presenting his himself as the alpha dog to... He he's he's the alpha male character that um, 
you know, I'm in control here. I'm going to do it. This is my idea. You're all just tourists. Yeah. Yeah, He He, got very upset when she finally asserted that she's going under and the other guys finally stood up and said, okay, we'll stick with you. We finally have a mutiny on our hands and and all that. And he, you know, he he constantly refers to them as riding on his coattails. And, you know, he was, he was the brilliant one. He's the one that came up with this idea. But it's also weird. I mean, and that's also, I think, his his character, even from when he was a kid, you know, that, that picking on the, the small and the weak, and he that's still in his personality. And um, it's not until, like, it's weird because when Kevin Bacon is under and he's, you know, playing that loose cannon role and he's, you know, let's push another 10 seconds and all that, like the very next scene when things do like like it must have gone too far and he's like all freaking out trying to save him you know like things when shit gets real i think uh Kiefer sutherland just he starts to panic a little bit more and that could also be from when he was a kid when he was pushing the envelope and the kid finally fell and then shit got real because that kid died Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a fitting way to define his personality is he pushes it you know, right up to the edge, and then he starts freaking out when it gets to the breaking point. Right, yeah. And then he, yeah, then he goes into this, I have to save him mode, which you see that a couple times. It seems like and it then... happens with every single one of the characters. <laughs> it's like they have a hard time bringing him back. Everybody freaks out. Yeah. You it's, know, but then it's a little formulaic. Where they're all, yeah. you know, pushing to do it again. And but, that, I think, again, goes back to they're so smart in their class that they're bored. Because there's a scene where they have this really hard-ass teacher, and they're, you know, dissecting these cadavers, and she says, all right, this isn't a pass-fail, it's, there's going to be four A's in the class, there's going to be, you know, three B's, four C's, and two D's, and whatever. Everybody else is failing, or something like that. You hear all these groans in the class, because what she's doing, she says, you know, you're not in competition with yourself you're not in competition with the medical science you're in competition with each other just like in life and she's just like i don't even know if she has it right but she's this hard-ass teacher that's pushing them probably to be well obviously to be better doctors but you hear all these groans in the class when she says that and then the next scene you see it's like oliver platt and Kiefer sutherland is it Kiefer sutherland Mm -hmm. yeah and they're like that was no sweat you know he did it, no problem, or something like that. Uh, it was before he did it. He's like, yep, piece of cake. Piece of cake, yeah. Because yeah. they're the smartest guys in the room. I guess. Right. And then, yeah, then you see the scene with Kiefer Sutherland. But so, yeah, getting back to, I guess my point is that they're just looking for something. Like, medical school isn't challenging enough, so they want they're something more. They're looking for a challenge. I mean, they're all scientists. They want to learn. They've learned what the school can teach them, and now they want to discover something on their own. They're chomping yeah. at the bit to make their own and it's, you breakthroughs know, it's, in the world. They want it, their own high, a new high. You know, I mean, for them, dying is the ultimate high. You know, because they all come back with different experiences. But That's an interesting read on it, I guess. For I these think. students, yeah. dying is the ultimate high. Dude, <laughs> but that's weird. Well, if you I think get, about it, though, the adrenaline get... rush you get out of bringing one of the others back, you know, and then finally being able to do it after you've pushed the barrier for longer and longer, that is euphoric. You know, I would imagine for somebody as a doctor, you know, that you were able to do it as well as being somebody who's been dead for longer and longer. So on both sides of the coin, 
I mean, that's got to be a rush for them. That may be a rush. I mean, that may be what motivates doctors to want to do what they do. I mean, just the profession as a whole. But I don't know. I guess I didn't get this as like, you know, it almost sets it up as an analogy for like a substance. We're going to die instead of, you know, shooting heroin, which I guess is kind of injecting a little bit of death. You know, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it didn't read to me like that. You know, it was more like. I mean, I guess I still keep coming down back to all five of those characters. And I'm guessing that this is how the screenplay even started. Is like, we're going to find, <clears throat> you know, why would, you know, what are the motivations for why somebody would want to kill themselves? I got five of them. we got five characters. Now we just got to figure out what those, you know, <laughs> what was in the past that, you know, is motivating them. And we bring that back to revisit themselves or revisit that past event and on them. Also, possibly the idea of, since they are all top of their class, or we assume they're top of their class, that they're trying to one-up each other each time, because mm-hmm. that's really what the bidding is, I yeah. guess, when they go under for more and more time, um, staying dead for more time. they Yeah, that's like, I can do better. I can be better. I mean, these are driven characters. Mm-hmm. One of the first things you see, one of the first scenes you see is Kevin Bacon scaling out of his apartment down the wall, you know, because, well, you had seen earlier that he took it upon himself to deal with an emergency in the hospital. Yeah. Something, something went yeah, wrong. Someone was bleeding. He tried to save her life. And he made the call. Mm-hmm. But he was a, like, resident. Yeah. An actual doctor. Yeah, he was still studying. And so they, they uh, suspended him. But they, they show him just pissed off and scaling down this wall of his apartment saying that, you know. Yeah. Well, that was one of those. See, I mean, again, that was uh, watching it this time, being more keenly aware of, like, you know, how you interpret a screenplay and how you stage stuff. You know, instead of doing the same thing and packing up all your shit and going out the front door of your apartment and down the hall and out the front steps. He, we see him rappelling out of his, you know, like third floor uh, apartment window. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, and he's got like the heart, he's wearing the harness and all that. And I'm like, so instead of just packing all your shit up and going out the front door, you took time to put all your climbing harness on, put a rope up and rappel down because it looks cool in a movie, right? When like, oh, it's dramatic. He's escaping for you. They f- suspended me. I'm going out the window. And it's a character development. You get the yeah. impression that he's a uh, thrill seeker. Mountain climbing. Yeah. Because there's mountain pictures in his apartment and mountains figure into his vision also. Well, and if anybody, you know, has a weak, weak-ass reason to kill themselves to come back, and not that I'm saying when they kill themselves they know that they're drudging up the past, but if anyone does, it's Kevin Bacon because... Like, well, he says early on, what have I got to lose? I guess this is reason for helping kill Kiefer. But then after that, like, what is his motivation for going under? Mm-hmm. I think it's probably his thrill-seeking from, like, mountain climbing. and He know. was directly well, challenged. I he think was, well, part of it was it. because he didn't want Julia Roberts to do it. And part of it was because he considered himself the control as an atheist. Yeah, but then, and then because of that, Kiefer Sutherland, like, directly challenges him. It's like, well, you haven't been there, so you can't... Because he's like, I'm calling bullshit on this whole thing. I still think you guys are th- seeing you know, residual well, brain course. activity. And they're like, well, do it then. If you're an atheist, you do it. And so he does. That's true. Dun, dun, dun. That's a good point, yeah. <clears throat> I, I Again, I don't see that as a jealousy thing about Julia Roberts. No, but it wasn't just at as all. A typical no, it was a, it was a cha- it was a challenge. To him directly, it's like that was a an alpha male situation, I think. Yeah, where you can't understand, you know, there's he's calling bullshit on it. Well, you can't call bullshit on it unless you do it. So do it, and then you can then we can talk. 
and he takes that as a you know. Although okay, fine, I, I'll I do thought it. it was kind of interesting. Well, I, I guess I had a few things. Um, it, the first time Keeper Sutherland does it, and he comes out of it, and he says, "I feel like." A highly tuned machine i can hear better you know and he was describing some things yeah, that he could hear all... yeah none of the other characters define that right so, i think because it was already set up in the first you know it's just assumed i think that each one of them well it wasn't assumed at least not to me i was waiting for them to i mean because the rest of them when they're talking like they can't really describe it at all you know, I mean, the best Billy Baldwin's character comes up with is it's it was slightly erotic. You know, I mean, that was like his big take on it. I mean, Kiefer yeah. Sutherland had a lot to say about it. And the rest of them, I was waiting for similar things. I mean, yeah, as the audience, you kind of get to see a glimpse of what they're going through. But you didn't get to see Kiefer Sutherland um, have heightened hearing. Well, you know? and I, I think the reason for that is a lot of that early on stuff where Kiefer was saying that it was great and it was, you know, heightened senses. I think that was his arrogance. I I don't think, I think that was bullshit. I don't think that he really felt that, but he had to come back with something, you know. I mean, obviously the beginning of his vision was kind of great, but I, I, I don't for one second buy the heightened senses because, like, that didn't happen to anybody else. And, like, you know, it's just, even what he said, like, can you hear the traffic on Lakeshore? I can hear the lights bu- buzzing below that, beneath that traffic, like that. That in itself, I don't know. I mean, no, that scene. What was happening there was he was like, you know, because the senses are all tuned up. For, you know, he's like, I can hear the traffic on Lakeshore. Can you hear it? Kevin Bacon says, Yeah. He's like, I can hear below that street lights humming. Kevin Bacon says, I can hear that too. And he's like, Below that, I can hear this like scraping sound. It's getting louder. And Kevin Bacon's like, Nope, I can't hear that because that was the fucking vision. The next scene, Kevin Bacon leaves, and the next thing is, like, this mangled dog scraping its way up the... Champ. So right there, that was that was just a setup that, you know, that he's hearing something that's not there. Bam! Fair enough. I, I, I agree with the scraping, because maybe that is part of his vision, but it just it sounds so, you know, arrogant. Like, I can hear the, the humming of the lights on Lakeshore. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, and... What most Hollywood movies does this always drives me crazy, drove me crazy in this one. What is with the apartment situation? I mean, Kiefer Sutherland says that when he was nine year old nine years old he was taken away from his family and raised in a boys boarding school. So why does he have an apartment that's bigger than my entire house? Maybe he has a trust. It's a movie apartment. All the apartments look awesome. Nobody lives in a regular house he's got I mean, these. even the julia roberts character had an yeah but even those are Kevin still like bacon lived out of his freaking truck yeah but i still consider well even his apartment it's like they still look you know they're still like movie apartments they're still like you know the the awesome old world kind of you know repurposed well i'm wondering are you supposed to be getting the impression again is it kind of pushing you towards the frankenstein image where he's a you know little rich boy who's you know been pampered mm-hmm. his whole life i mean because when he the I other thing that. you can think of when you think of a boy's boarding school is the rich boy's boarding school yeah because who else has money to send their kid to a well, well see the way he said it you could take it two ways i was taken away from my family when i was nine well, years yeah. old 
well, does that mean that he was put into like a boys' school that at nine because of parents. what happened yeah. by his, by, you know, yeah, with or without his parents' consent? Mm-hmm. I think it was he was taken away because he murdered that boy. So then, was it more like a foster care boys' school? No, it was a, it was a he he got taken to a boy like his, he mentions I got taken to a boys' school because of, he's like I already. Because the re- he he only brought up the I got taken to a boys' school because he's like I already served my time, I already paid for my sins, of killing, you know. Yeah. So why is he still haunting? I already paid for my sins. I was taken away from my parents and put to a boarding school at nine. So like, you know, because of that incident of the boy taking away. The government put him into like, yeah, but they would put government. him in juvie, juvie hall. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes they, more they sense. They don't put I him in a boarding school yeah, because he's got that apartment and he's school. rich. Yeah, his it's parents like, like disowned the, him the after the scandal. Like, yeah, yeah, the parents are not disowned him. Obviously, he still got their money, but you know they put him you know either for punishment or whatever, it was, or send right. you off to to school. Right. So. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to ask uh, Brent really quick before we go to wrap-ups. Uh, so this is a, a Halloween pick. Yes. Yeah, what why, the fuck, man? Why, why'd you pick this movie for a Halloween pick? <laughs> uh, just for the, like, the supernatural overtones, the hauntings that happen throughout it, the fact that it takes place during Halloween. Um, I don't know. Isn't it obvious? No. no. This is not a Halloween movie. <laughs> I, I, I can see why you picked it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. At first viewing, it is haunting. Um, it takes place in autumn, and there is a Halloween night Yeah, that I mean, it's not a horror movie. movie by any means, but it does have a it's like saying, Halloween-ish it's like, it's like, it's like, So They'd be like, hey, I'm going to pick Donnie Darko for a Halloween movie. So what's, what? okay, what's your definition of a Halloween movie? I don't know. I mean, like, Halloween movies are typically, like... Horror movies. Horror movies that are usually <laughs> like so hauntings and scary situations taking place during Halloween don't fit. How do, people killing themselves? Only Tom's definition. No? Uh, this, this <laughs> There's a whole the... Halloween slow motion dance outside of where they're. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is not a Halloween movie. I, I would not. I would not consider this a Halloween. Movie. I I would I would okay, agree to disagree with you. Why is Die Hard considered a Christmas movie? Oh snap! Right, it's it's <laughs> it takes place during Christmas. Right, it takes then, place during. This Christmas. takes place during Halloween. Bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> All right, are, uh, are there not? Oh, wait, hold on. Are there not scary moments in this film that uh, that are? That I would say um, are reminiscent of not the Tales from the Crypt movie, but I think that this could be one big Tales from the Crypt story. I mean, I guess, I guess this from... fall, this falls in the Halloween movie. Like, I mean, like I don't know, I, I what I would consider. Okay, all right, I guess you're right. Fine, I would consider Donnie Darko a Halloween because it takes place during Halloween. <laughs> it takes place during Halloween. <laughs> I would consider and Donnie Darko a Halloween movie. It's a creepy movie, yeah. But it doesn't. I mean, it's much like this. Is this okay? Well, I guess here's a good question. Did this movie scare you no. while Did watching it? Did it give you the creeps? No. No, no, no. Not at all? Not at all, no. Nothing? Wow. Well, so what would, I mean, I, I guess I, I, so you were looking for like a Halloween scare would be like a slasher. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. You I'm not a looking. a uncomfortable <laughs> in I'm any not, way watching this I'm not movie. looking for, you know, I, I don't like how, I don't like scary movies, so I'm completely fine. With 
I, you know, I'm perfectly fine with your pick. Well, let's just start the wrap up. What do you think of my what's, pick? What do you think of the movie, Tom? All right, well, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, okay. I, I actually kind of i i like the, i like the movie. Um, I I found it to be. It has a unique visual style that's um, really pretty interesting with a lot a lot of blues, a lot of. There's a lot of symbolism going on. Uh, religious symbolism and I don't know, there's a lot of hidden meanings in this movie that like you can really look deeper into. Uh the plot is is, is pretty interesting. I mean, there's you know, like a lot of movies in which you would expect like you know, like okay, it's like we got to atone for our sins, you know. It would be like um more along the lines of like when we watch like the tales from the crypt where it's like their sins are they murdered somebody you know or like Keith Sutherland murdered somebody yeah but it would be like everybody murdered somebody you know like every sin would be they killed somebody in their past Julia Roberts thought she murdered her dad indirectly one of those girls that uh William Baldwin's videotape and could have gone off and killed themselves if they found out. Maybe his his fiance goes off and kills hey, himself. Hey man, I'm trying to give you a fucking positive room and fucking ruin it. Sorry. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to like take it. I can deduct a point right there. Continue. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um I I, I found it interesting that instead of like major sins, they're real I mean one of them is, like, just, like, bully, you know? And that's relatively minor in the grand scheme of things as far as, like, haunt sins coming back to haunt you, you know? Um, that is an interesting take. It's it's very... I don't know, it's... I probably wouldn't, like... I wouldn't put it in your, like, hey, man... We're going to watch a bunch of Halloween movies. This is the movie that we should watch category. But you should probably check this movie out. Like, you should watch this movie. Whether or not you need to watch it at Halloween, not necessarily. It's not necessarily a Halloween-specific movie. You could probably watch this movie at any time. But it is it is a good movie. I heard a lot of things with, like, you know, like, heard a lot of people say that this is a bad movie. You know, like, oh, stay away. But... I actually kind of, uh, I kind of, enjoy, I, I enjoyed it actually, and I found it quite surprising. Sweet, uh, I give that a recommendation, definitely. I like it. Overall, I would recommend it unless you're the kind of person that likes really short, sweet, shallow movies. This is definitely not one of those. It's a thinking movie. Um, you're supposed to sit and ponder this movie. Um. The lighting scheme is very noticeable. Um, maybe it was a stylistic thing back then. It, it, I felt it went a little too far. Um, I thought there probably could have been more of the sound effects. Um, but I, I did like looking at all the symbology. Even the room where they would perform the medically induced murder was cool because there was a boiler plate 
underneath the floor below it, or there was a boiler on the floor below it, and the main room right over where they were operating um, just was nothing nothing more than a gold-leafed boiler plate. So it looked like hell below them. And, you know, you had these gigantic cathedral ceilings looking like heaven above. So it kind of looked like they were stuck in between. I mean, the whole movie is one big symbology. And I still keep thinking of the end of the shot or the end of the film has these three panels. And every time I did this, the first time I saw the movie, too, I kind of got this twisted little piece of my brain wondering because the metal image is is a picture of God, and then there's all these other scenes, which if you kind of look at them closely, all kind of resemble in a, a little bit of what the characters went through, but both times I, wa- I saw that, I wondered in my twisted little brain if that's God's way of, you know, kind of saying, ha ha, that's what you get for fucking with me, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, maybe it was just a little too symbology heavy, but that's what I always thought because they were doing it in that room with those panels and you see this big finger of God pointing down at them. Yeah, but <laughs> it's interesting, not to take away from your wrap-up, but I'm just remember there were five panels. That's why I was wondering if there was, you know, each one illustrated each of the different characters. But that middle one with God pointing, in that same shot or in that same painting, there's a man holding fire. And that's why I was like, I'm... I'm unclear who what biblical character that was it almost strikes me that, that was like prometheus you know he's the oh, guy who stole oh. fire from the uh, from the gods the human is god it's uh, the, the images I, I thought it was that too i thought it was like he's holding fire but that's god no it's god jesus and the holy spirit, the holy spirit. Oh, oh okay so that also makes sense thank you for that catholic tom <laughs> Um, that's basically my wrap-up. Do see it unless you don't really like thinking movies and avoid it like the plague. All right. Um, yeah, um, it's a movie that goes after, I mean, for the 1990s, it goes after a, you know, pretty, um, weighty subject, spirituality, death, what happens when you die. It encases that in a thriller, you know, supernatural thriller, uh, framework um and then populates it with a track a, a cast of attractive young people so you know i mean it was the recipe for success back in uh, in 1990 uh the music i thought you know it's got a lot of choral stuff going on uh it's very you know ear catching it's really cool the production design and the uh, the photography especially to me stood out this time around i think i still have the same problem with it that i had the first time that i saw it it borrows so heavily from the, and I'm not saying that this is, well, it borrows so heavily from like, uh, you know, the imagery of the horror film and it kind of sets itself up as a, as a type of horror film. It has like a great hook. We're going to kill ourselves. We see something and then, then what happens? And it seems like what they came up with, was the this is the cliche it's like we died and we brought something back you know i remember seeing was it hideaway i think it was with alicia silverstone and jeff goldblum where you know he died he has a near-death experience and comes back and he's brought some guy's soul back with him it's kind of hokey uh they all end up you know i mean that seems to be like a thing that you know hollywood tries to explore in a lot of these movies um but i guess i was kind of disappointed the first time that it wasn't more 
uh, of a horror film. It ends up being more of a drama, you know. Um, again, that's just that's just me, you know. That's what I wanted out of it. Does the movie successfully do what it intends to do? I think it does. I think it's a class, you know, grade A production. But I think also the thing that uh, that that what I'm bringing up is the problem with it is what keeps it away from being like a movie that you know achieves like some kind of you know cult classic status you know where it doesn't seem like this one has like a following and kind of has fallen through the crowd maybe again this is a perception now, obviously brent likes it quite a bit but it doesn't seem like you know it has like a large fan base and i think that may be why because it, it sets you up on this like awesome hook and the payoff that we're going to deal with like you know oh you know we're going to die and then we're going to come back and what what does that mean and it ends up means you have to deal with the guilt of some sin that you did in the past and atone for it. You know, then that's what the second half of the movie becomes. And it's kind of like, ah, okay, well, it would have been cooler if you did something else. So, but. I guess what I'm hearing is, sorry, I just to interject real quick. If you, if this, to make this film a horror film, you would have to have each of the characters get killed by their premonition no, or their guilt. But so would that have to be greater? But well, would, you wouldn't. Would that I, work yeah, but I, I mean, see. I guess it's the whole the thing that kind of bugs me is that they went with, you know, that there was sins that had to be atoned for, you know. And again, you know, this is just again. I, I'm I'm still saying I recommend the movie. That is the movie that the writers and the directors and everybody wanted to tell, and I think they accomplished it. I'm just saying, <laughs> look at it like you know, oh. Uh, you know, you went with, like, that, where it's, like, it seems like it would have been more interesting. And I don't have an example of what it would have been more interesting with something else I, I think, I mean, other this, than it became, like, you know. If you, you see know, the trailer, you get an impression. That it's more of a horror not. movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think this, I, I agree with Kyle. I don't think this is a cult. This is not a cult classic. I mean, like, I don't think you would go out and be like, oh, man, you got to see this movie. Right, Like, yeah. this is not, like, a... You have to see this movie. This is not a cult classic status movie. This is not like on someone's favorite. You know, it's on Brent's oh. favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait until we get there. Hey. But no, You're I mean, the kind of person that likes right. the deep thinking movies like Brent does, this would be one of your top. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even I that that it's like a deep thinking movie is like you know, I mean, I, you know, it's it's not necessarily like two thousand and one or something the like that. Plot. You know, or even Jacob's Ladder. I mean, it's still like a kind of a. You know, it's on the fluffy side, yeah. Yeah, but. exactly. So, I mean, I think while it's still dealing, you know, it's the same way that I wouldn't necessarily consider like Prometheus a, a, a great deep film, even though it, you know, it says we're going to tackle these ideas of you know, m- you know, man and creation and all that stuff. Uh, this is kind of along the same ways. It has provoked a discussion here tonight that lasted an hour, so that's you know, that means something. I think it's a good movie. It's a solid film. It's well made, well crafted, well acted, well told. Um, you know, its appeal to you is, you know, do you like uh, supernatural thrillers? Then, you know, then I would recommend it, I guess. All right, we're going, I think we're going to bat a thousand tonight. Um, this, yeah, this movie, I don't, I I don't know. I, I, I see it as a pretty terrifying tale in the same vein as like a Stephen King story. Um, or even a Tales from the Crypt story. You seem to get these ideas. Yeah, everything is resolved in a nice, neat manner by the end. But throughout it, I think that these characters are... I guess they're kind of going through their own uh, fairy tale. You know, where they're through 
dying and coming back to life. They're drudging up, you know, this guilt and this past, but they have to learn from it and they have to atone for it and they have to make it right. And each one of them does it in different ways, you know, all the way up until like you see uh, Kiefer, who I don't know if we covered this, but he can't atone for his sin because, as he says, the boy that they picked on died and it was his fault. Well, the final uh, flatliner, he, he goes back, he dies, and he finds him. And the, this time the roles are reversed where Kiefer as a kid is up in the tree. And the kid that's been, you know, beating him up the whole time is down there throwing shit at him. But he's actually the kid that was picked on. Um, but Kiefer, you know, finally breaks through to this point where he's just like, I'm sorry, you know, like he's just like... Uh, with that performance I buy it that you know he actually means that he's sorry and it takes him he pretty much has to fall off the tree and die in while already being dead die in his vision and be reborn I guess so that when he comes back he's a better person for it everybody what I'm trying to say is all the characters learn something from their experiences which I think is cool Um, and I think that that's a fairy tale. I guess maybe it's not like a horror thing, but it's enough of like a scary story thing. And the imagery in this, I think, is terrifying. Like, there's stuff that I think The Sixth Sense ripped off because there's a scene, I think it's Julia Roberts, where she's in her apartment or Kevin Bacon's apartment, one of them. But uh, it's, you know, real life. And she closes a door it's like a closet door with a mirror and as the reflection as the door closes you see her father in the background and he's all dead and he's got like a bullet hole like did he shoot him through the chest or something was it through the head Mm -hmm. but she sees that and then like she turns around and it's gone you know it's like it's those hauntings i think throughout this film that are really kind of kind of spooky to me and that i think is why I picked it, Tom. Um, I don't know. I, I've always really liked this movie. I always thought it did have more of a following. Um, but apparently, you know... Well, maybe it does. I don't know. It, 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 it might. It very well could. But out of the four of us here tonight, there's there's only one that would put it in the cult classic category, and that's me. Well, Freak Show people, you should write in and to let us know if this is a cult classic movie or not. Yeah, we got a good debate going on here. Is this a Halloween film, and is this a cult classic? I Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm obviously on the side. with And the fact, I know this is a very shallow point, but the fact that it takes place during Halloween, <laughs> and they have this whole scene where there's, you know, kids out dancing, and there's a big bonfire, which is strange that they chose that night to do one of their little flatliner projects because there's, like, obviously a party going out right outside the building that they're... That allows for cool secretly. lights to be yeah. through the window. Strange, and you get Billy Baldwin in a skeleton suit. hard being a Christmas movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's an argument for both, and I, I don't know if we want to go down that. I'm sure Die Hard's going to show up on the... Freak show at Everybody some point. Everybody in the world seems to call Die Hard a Christmas movie it's just totally, because it came totally out around good. Christmas. Just, no, so it came out in the summer. Calling... It's set during Christmas. Oh, yeah. oh. It takes place on Christmas See, Eve. See, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can call Die Hard a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas, even well, though I mean, the, no whole, the whole theme of that movie is Christmas. Like, 
There's Christmas everywhere. Yeah, if people are shooting and dying, that's Christmas. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. <laughs> I don't know about the theme. The production design <laughs> says Christmas everywhere. Well, and that I mean, if we're going to base it on that, then so does this film. Yeah, there you yes. go. They even yeah, have the scene from the movie Halloween where they're walking outside and the leaves are constantly falling through the frame. Just yeah. to well, and the guy comes in wearing a costume. Yeah, the guy is wearing, yeah, Billy Baldwin's wearing a skeleton costume. Um, I also bet the whole Halloween set it was not in the script. I bet you. Probably not. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. It made and, for more symbology i thought it just made yeah. and cool visual cool cool style stylings and you know what's interesting about as as uh good looking of a film as this is they chose like some of the dirtiest nastiest abandoned parts of chicago that they could find to shoot this i mean there's not a lot of extras in this film and, and it was all during night too. And yeah, a lot of it's during night. And if there is an extra character in the movie, they usually serve a purpose, or they're uh, you know mm-hmm. like the there's a group of bikers that go past Kiefer when he's outside of that uh, the pawn shop, the Gilly's pawn shop is Gillian's pawn shop. Gillian's pawn shop. Um, and I still to this day I'm not quite sure what that's all about. You know if they're real. Or if they're part of the vision, because this is just this—it's the middle of the night, this abandoned street in Chicago, and all these you know cyclists pass by Kiefer, just like he's not even there. I mean, they just like shoot right, right and past he's him. He's still in his euphoric high from coming out of the first dust scene. He walks out of—I think it was supposed to be the cafe that you know everybody else had left. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, and he's walking out by himself, lighting a cigarette. He hears a sound, and the next thing you know, he looks up, and there's this huge gaggle of bicyclists speeding past him and he's kind of in the middle of them yeah yeah you're right there's that's one i figured out that that is kind of the interesting thing about this film is you you can look at it any way that you want to and it it, you know it it works on so many different levels that it does you know it it spawns arguments and conversations and debates about what the film is and what it means and since they are tackling such a huge issue as life after death um you really you can't i mean you can't you have to have like at least those four different options or even you know an ambiguous idea is there you know is it a catholic or a religious thing is it purely science is it is it an atheist thing where you're dirt you know i mean whatever or maybe that's not that's not right um is it just an atheist thing where you believe in some sort of Maybe or no, I don't think he believes in anything, does he? In the no, movie, not an afterlife. He's he yeah. just when you die, you're dead. He thinks you're dirt, you're worm yeah. food. Okay, all right. I wanted to get that clear. I don't we don't want to get letters on, <laughs> on this stuff, but uh, yeah, I think it's yes, actually we do. <laughs> yeah, if if you want to join in the debate, you can. Um, Colin, I'll tell you where to find us in a minute, but I would definitely recommend this film to to anybody really. Um, I think that what it deals with is a universal theme, and I think that a lot of people can watch it and get what they want out of it, and that, you know, it's it's an experience. It, it'll take you for a ride. Um, I think that it it does a good job of sucking you in and suspending your disbelief enough to where, you know, it's, dare I say it, it's at times it's a white-knuckle movie where you're, you know, you're grabbing the armrest and you're like, what's going to happen next? Because I think it's one of those... Those, those stories that 
leads you down this path and and the acting I, real quick i just i touched on it earlier but i think that again the acting helps a lot this movie is surprising especially for these actors cuz i think each one of these actors you've seen them in stuff that like is not up to the level that they're at in this Please film es- especially during the 90s what? or the 80s i just think that they were all they went above and beyond in this film, and I, I, I really like it, and I will recommend it to anybody out there. All right, so there you go. If you agree, disagree with us, listener, send us your email at our email at Saturday Night Freak Show at yahoo.com. And, uh, I mean, hey, you can listen to this and other episodes by going back and visiting that website, saturdaynightfreakshow.blogspot.com. Next week... It's Tom's pick. What is Tom going to unleash on us next week? We're going to be watching Hocus Pocus. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) A Halloween movie which takes place on Halloween. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, All right, so stay tuned for that. We may have a special episode somewhere in there, which is going to be like the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and some other short that I can't remember what it was. That may be a special episode, maybe on Halloween Day. Who knows? Check our website or iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, etc. Until next time, listener, may the Schwartz be with you.